this evening as we celebrate Lectio Divina, we're going to be looking at a portion of the Gospel of Luke and praying that section of the sacred scriptures. This is the portion just as the Lord begins his journey to Jerusalem. And in the Gospel of Luke, that's very important. As the different Gospels are set up in different ways with Matthew and various sections of teaching and Mark with the various actions of the Lord, in the Gospel of Luke, there is a journey to Jerusalem, to that place where the Lord will suffer, die, and rise in glory. And then after that, outward to the ends of the earth, to the very center of the empire in Rome in the Acts of the Apostles. So they've just begun that journey. And just before the portion we'll be praying this evening, they've met re rejection. As soon as they start, he sends messengers ahead of them, and they're rejected. And so that's the point at which uh, we pick up this uh, story in the encounter of, the, of his encounter with the people he would meet on the way to Jerusalem. The portion this evening speaks of a journey. And that journey is something that we should think of as we pray this portion of scripture of the Gospel of Luke. Our life is a journey, a journey on the way not to the earthly Jerusalem towards which the Lord was traveling, but to the heavenly Jerusalem. And uh, what he teaches us on his journey illuminates our lives on our own. And that's why, of course, the Holy Spirit inspired St. Luke to write this in that way. We have the mission of the 70, people set out by the Lord to act in his name, as we, in our own way, are set out to act in his name. And they, too, find all kinds of rejection and struggle. They do not have a, a good response from the people. And so let us now prepare ourselves to journey with the Lord and ask ourselves, what does this say to us in our own journey as disciples? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may hear your words, and that they may touch our hearts. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Let us cast away from us all of those cares and distractions which occupy us and block the pathway of the Lord to our hearts. We ask the Lord's forgiveness for the sins which so turn us away from him. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But he said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, Salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, Eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I will follow you wherever you will go. This person is filled with enthusiasm as they come up to the Lord. Sort of like uh, Peter saying, I will never deny you. And enthusiasm is not exactly a bad thing, but it's not something to rely upon. The great Ronald Knox wrote a wonderful book called Enthusiasm about that dimension of religion get all excited, I'll follow you wherever you will go. And we need to get a bit more grounded than that. It's like I remember once a couple of years ago when I was newly ordained, 
I was doing the form one for a marriage. It was the introductory questionnaire. One of the questions is a rather important one. Do you promise to be faithful to one another until death, as in death do us part? And the young man said, no. I thought, oh, they didn't teach me this in the seminary. Uh, what do I do now? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, I will be faithful for all eternity. I said, that's fine, that includes death. So <laughs> you're okay, up to a death, beyond, okay. It's, it's, it's enough, it's enough. So this kind of enthusiasm is a good thing for starters. One of the first of John Henry Newman's, uh, well, I guess one of the first of his homilies when he was a young preacher in the parochial and plain sermons is the right use of religious emotion. And it's basically, it's good to prime the pump, but don't rely on it. And so we should think about that. I'll follow you everywhere. Okay. But the flame must not just flash, but the flame must burn brightly a long time. And so as we think of this disciple, let's just ask whether we have burning within us the fire of devotion that is steady, constant, focused, long-lasting, or is it just a poof, big flame of emotion? Nothing wrong with emotion, but none of us lives on that for long. Whatever commitments we make, whatever it may be too, the emotional dimension is more like the icing on the cake than the cake. And so let's pray that our great enthusiasms of life, which we should have, I presume we shouldn't be all bored and whatever, dry and all dusty, but that they be transformed from the water of enthusiasm into the wine of fidelity. May that be the mark of our life in Christ. To another he said, follow me. And he said, but Lord, let me first go to bury my father. But he said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a traditional way in which the Lord called people. He was seen as a rabbi, a teacher, a wise man, and normally people came like the first person in this section. They would seek out a wise teacher. I want to follow you. That wasn't the way Jesus did it. He sought out the students, not the students seeking out the teacher. And in this second one, he saw someone he wanted to call, like Matthew at the tax collector's booth. And so he said, follow me. And of course, Matthew dropped everything and followed him. There's that wonderful painting that Pope Francis uh, meditates upon a great deal in the Saint Louis de France parish in, uh, in Rome, where you see Jesus with his finger going like that. And there is, there's the table, and they're not quite clear which one is Matthew, either young man or old man, but whatever it is, the finger of the Lord is saying, you follow me. And so he did that. Wouldn't that be something amazing? Just to think the Lord himself called him to follow, to be one of his disciples. But, there's a but right after the follow me. But, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, which probably means 
let me delay this until all my circumstances are in place and everything. And the Lord says, no, I'm calling you to follow me, to have a divine vocation. And uh, that tops everything. That is central. Drop the nets and follow me. Move forward and follow. And he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. What is for you? Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this seems a bit harsh, but it's not really that. He simply is saying, this is the priority in your life. You have been called to follow me. And notice he doesn't say, go and uh, obey the, the, the Torah or even obey the words of my own words. He says, follow me. This is the distinction of what it means to be a Christian, as distinct, for example, of being Jewish. Nobody is told, follow Moses or follow any. It's follow the law of the Lord that is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. But for us, it is follow the person of Jesus. Follow me. That's why we're called Christians, Christians, because of our connection to the Lord. And in this case, he gave this call, which was met with qualifications. And we shouldn't do that. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. And then, but, but, that little word can wreck our lives. But, however, you must understand, uh, we'll qualify this, the death of a thousand qualifications. I will follow you, but, 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 Lord, let me first say farewell to those in my home. That's very much like when Elisha was called by Elijah to be his successor. And Elijah says, no, come, drop everything. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in all of these, I think the Lord is speaking to us. And I think what he is saying is don't qualify your discipleship. Don't put me into a portion of your life. But, but, but. That's not, you're being called by the Lord God in baptism, in confirmation for all of us, perhaps in ordination, perhaps in the holy sacrament of matrimony but has no place. When it is a call from the Lord, we worship the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our strength. It's the same idea. It's not let us worship and love the Lord our God with most of our hearts and some of our strength and no. When we're dealing with things that are central, they are central, they're not peripheral. And so we need to respond to the Lord in that way. And the Lord, by his providence, will take care of the buts and qualifications in our lives. He'll take care of that. We need to give ourselves to, to him totally. Now, there may be times when there are some responsibilities, if we consider that, which do recall us out of love and charity to do this in a particular way. And I think that happens often enough. But the fundamental commitment must be to follow the Lord. 
even if it may be required sometimes that there, it takes a while to do that. Another said, I will follow you, but, and Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we see why he says this in the next portion. Because in the first part, just before this part of the gospel, they've met resistance. The messengers have gone out, have been bounced back and turned away. And now they're going out like sheep among wolves. In that kind of uh, an environment, it's vital that people be focused on their mission. The luxury of wobbling and of half-heartedness is not granted to them. They are to be focused because the mission is difficult and there is resistance to it. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to come. He is in this like Moses appointing the 70 elders. The Lord called Moses to delegate, to spread out, to go beyond himself. And the Lord is doing that, although he has infinite power, he shares his mission with other people and sends them out with that wholehearted dedication which he talks about in the section ahead of this. He appointed 70 others. He didn't have to because he has infinite power, but he does that constantly. He invites us into his mission, all of us, so that we might share in it, be transformed by it, and in it as well experience with him what he experienced at the end of the road to Jerusalem, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection. He says, come follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And he sent them two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to come. They're two by two, not alone. That's a good point. They're there to help one another. They're there to be a community, a brief and small one, at least a small community of support. And that seems to be as well in the New Testament, the way in which the apostles went on their journeys. Paul and Barnabas, John and Mark and people like that, they would come, to, they would go together in, in a community. They're setting up communities all along the road. And they're going to where Jesus was about to go. In other words, they're preparing the way of the Lord like John the Baptist. That's their mission. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He doesn't say send out enough laborers or more laborers into his harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send out whoever is needed into the harvest. 
and the Lord does that. There's no shortage, you might say, of vocations to all the vocations which are found within the church. The Lord sends out laborers, and that certainly includes the apostolic vocation, although this is more spread out than the 12. And he says, pray. That's an important thing. I've been a bishop in three dioceses now. I can't seem to keep one focus anyway. Um, in all that, I've, I've sort of had various uh, vocation directors, and I always say to them, and vocation to the priesthood, and which certainly to which this applies, but I think it applies more broadly. And I always say, people, not paper. There's nothing more satisfying than putting out a vocation brochure and feeling that something has been done at the end of the day, but that has probably no effect whatsoever. What the Lord asks us to do is to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out the laborers he wishes to send into each portion of the harvest. How many they are? God only knows. How they will do it? God only knows. But we hope that the response will be better than what the Lord himself got in the previous section of this, this passage. Send out into the harvest wholehearted laborers to fulfill the mission, whatever God has given to them. May each one of us be such a laborer, whatever part of the harvest the Lord has sent us out into, whatever our mission in the church, may we be wholehearted laborers in the harvest of the Lord. It is not ours, it is his. We don't go, he sends. We're people who are sent. We don't make it up as we go along. It's not our harvest, it's his. He is the Lord. We are simply faithful stewards of the mysteries. As troubles come upon the church, which they do for, well, they've done for the last 2000 years of different forms, it's good to remember that. We don't fix things ourselves. We need to do what we can, but the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. The first thing we do is to be conformed to his will and therefore to become saints. That is how the Lord dealt with, for example, the great disruption in Europe in the 1500s. He raised up saints. That's what dealt with the issue although the organizational work of the Council of Trent was very, very helpful. But it was the saints that were at the heart of it. May we be saints, no less. It's not denied us. There are canonizations, there's a batch of them done today, in fact, in Rome. It's good to do, they highlight people, helpful. But it's not something a few people get from the Pope. All of us are called to be laborers in the harvest, sent by the Lord. And we can do it by God's grace and only by that. And it is not easy. 
because he says, go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a nice encouragement. I think maybe I should see if we can have vocation directors use that. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, or every one of our apostolic endeavors. It's sort of like the advertisement of Shackleton when he went, led his expedition to the South Pole. He put, he wanted people to help him in his work. And so he set, put a, an advertisement in the London Times. He said, I need people to go on an expedition to the South Pole. Prospect of survival, slim. Cold, terrible. Death, likely. Injury, certain. Failure, probable. But if there is success, glory. And he got the right people. So, anyway. So we're going out. <laughs> there are no illusions. How we can't live an illusion. We're going out into a world that's going to be like wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Salute no one on the road. In other words, travel light. You're moving into enemy territory. And don't, you know, you probably are going down like the road to Jericho. Watch out for muggers on the side. Don't be stopping and move, keep moving on your mission. Don't be dithering, saluting people on the road. Salute the people when you get there, but don't be sort of, oh, I think I'll do this and that. Move towards your mission. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Presumably they're wearing sandals, so don't carry an extra, extra sandals. That is something. I'm, I'm going to a meeting. Uh, uh, we're having a meeting of priests this week, and we'll have another one next week. I should really re keep reading this one over and over again tomorrow morning when I pack, because I tend to keep throwing into my bag, well, I might need this, and I might need that, and I might need something else, so I loaded down with things. You know how often we can do that in our lives? We can be like impedimenta, but we're mentally, maybe that's a weakness we all have, at least I have, too many things. But I think that the Lord is saying to us on the more profound issues of life, at least, travel light. Don't be putting in all the things through which you're gonna solve what you meet on the dangerous road or what you meet just ahead of you. Travel light. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Always we are messengers of peace. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. That's interesting. Peace be with this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. If someone is ready for this, he will receive what you give from the Lord, not from yourself. But if not, it shall return to you. But we don't have much control over that, do we? Nor should we. We go out into this world saying by our lives, if not only by our words, peace be with you. We need to always be in that approach. That's what bishops say that at mass, but I think we, in a sense, in our hearts, we say that to the people we meet on the journey in which we're sent. It's not our journey, we're sent. However we meet people, 
And maybe that peace will not be received, in which case it will come back to us, but that's not ours to decide. I think if more people realized that, we'd have a much more peaceful world. And also within the church itself, if we had, it would be certainly much more peaceful in the Catholic blogosphere, if everyone was said, peace be with you, and then let it be at that. If a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. How often we bounce around all over the place. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. One of the commentators says, like, don't go, you, you may land in a poorer house, you find a better offer. So you move to that one, and then you move somewhere else. How unstable we can be in all that we do, including in our way of proclaiming the gospel. Stay where you are, do what you can, and move only when necessary. We can be bouncing around so much there's one spiritual writer who says, stop this laying of foundation stones, complete something. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Don't be always starting afresh and moving here and there. There's a certain stability. It's like I know when I, I once killed a cactus, I'm not very good, don't have a green thumb. I kept kind of watering and I watered it too much. I loved it to death and it just went like that. And then I kept looking to see how it was growing, and that's not a good move if you're doing things. So just leave things as they are. Let's just ask the Lord to give us what in the monastic life is actually one of the vows. The vow of poverty, chastity, obedience, and in some monasteries, the vow of stability. Lord, grant us stability so that we be attentive to the task at hand and not always flipping from one to another. Let's just ask the Lord for that grace. Whenever you enter a town and, there and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Eat what, this is the second time he said, eat what they set before you. We're not to be demanding people. We're supposed to just simply take what we receive. In other words, we're not to be egocentric. That always comes back again and again. Eat what's on your plate, sort of the basic thing. And that's true, of course, of, of our Catholic faith. It's not a kind of uh, smorgasbord where we take and pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's more Holy Mother Church puts it in front of us and says, eat what's on your plate, whether you like the vegetables or not. And so heal the sick and didn't say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That is what the Lord himself said, of course, repent for the kingdom of God is near. It is the kingdom of God that we represent, every one of us in our different ways. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against, your, against you 
Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it should be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. If we try our best, then it's in God's hands. The kingdom of God has come near. If we have proclaimed the gospel by our lives, most of all, but we may just have to move on. And he tells them, move on. Don't, uh, it's not up to you anyway. It's up to the grace of God. So move on. And then he begins, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Chorazin and Bethsaida. We don't know much about Chorazin. It's just a town nearby. It's kind of the neighborhood. And this is the prophet is not welcomed in his own area. So he is doing extraordinary things in his home area. And his hometown for most of his ministry was Capernaum. But the people were so familiar with him that even when he worked wonders, they would not recognize who he is. And so he says to them, wake up, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Tyre and Sidon were wicked, sinful cities, and they repented, just as, you know, the, the story of, of Jonah, where he was sent to proclaim repentance and mercy to the enemy town of Nineveh. And he did everything he could to get away from that mission. He, you know, tried to head west when he was supposed to go east, and the whale snapped him up and put him there, put him in the right place. And he sort of reluctantly proclaimed, repent. And they all repented. Because the prophet thought that he would be the one making it happen. But it was really God doing it anyway. So whatever God uses us for in his mission to go and do different things, let's do it faithfully. The kingdom of God is near. Proclaim it by our lives, proclaim it by our words, proclaim it in whatever vocation we have, and proclaim it as lambs in the midst of wolves. And our ability to handle wolves is probably pretty low. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's what we're to do. And then, away we go. We're on to the next place. God will take care of it. I find that very hard to do. I find it easy to say but hard to do because I always want to move in there and fix it and make it happen in the way I think it should happen. I don't know whether anyone else is like that. And I get frustrated when things don't happen that way in the world or in the church. I think we've got to just listen to this and say, you proclaim the kingdom of God. And then it's sort of like what John the 23rd is famous saying, well, Lord, it's your church. You take care of it. I'm going to bed. The Lord protects the church. And we do what we can. We do it faithfully. We do it conscientiously. We do it aware it's not our action, but that of the Lord. And then we move on, traveling light, moving through this hostile world and centering our life in submission to the will of God. And you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. You shall be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That's very powerful, and it's repeated in different ways. I've been reading the Gospel of John a lot lately because I'm going to be doing some talks 
in Vancouver in about a month. And I've been just immersing myself in the Gospel of John in preparation for it. And one thing I've noticed that I never noticed before, if you read a Gospel from cover to cover, back and forth, again and again, out loud preferably, you notice things. Who knew? You notice things if you do that, rather than trying to speed read it. And one thing I notice is that in the Gospel of John, Jesus always says, the Father who sends, the Father who sends me. He is the one who is sent by the Father. It's repeated again and again and again. And this is what the Lord is saying here. He who hears you hears me. We represent the Lord. Now that's why we better be sure we do represent the Lord. It's not our Jesus that we're proclaiming. It's the Lord Jesus of the gospel, of the faith of the church. But he who hears you hears me. And he who hears me Here's the one who sent me. He who rejects you rejects me. And the one who sent me, who's the heavenly father. So we have to be really sure in a spirit of submission to God's will and humility that we act that way. Not our hand on the steering wheel, but that we truly are people sent and know that we are. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We're sent out like lambs among wolves, and they're sent out there, they return, that even the demons are subject to us in your name, at the name of Jesus. That is the center and heart of who we are and what we do, in the name of Jesus. And the things we face, the wolves come in different shapes, just as the three animals that stopped Dante at the beginning of the inferno, three different dimensions of evil. The wolves come in different shapes. Three of them are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil's one of them. And if we look at some of the stuff that's going on now, you really wonder. And yet it is by the power of the name of Jesus that we move out saying, peace be to this house. The kingdom of God is near, but we're up against not simply the world and the flesh, but also cosmic powers of evil. This is a point Pope Francis very frequently makes. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But don't rejoice in that kind of spectacular thing. Rejoice that your name is written in the book in heaven. By loving God and loving neighbor day by day, by being simple, humble disciples of the Lord. But this other dimension we have to be aware of, and I've, I've been thinking about it for years, I know Pope Leo XIII saw a vision, they say, the 20th century. That's why he put the, what's called the Leonine Prayers at, on weekday mass, uh, the most famous of them being St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. And I think as we read this passage, we should think of that prayer. 
So I'm going to be consulting a bit more with the priests the next couple of weeks, but I've always been encouraging this prayer. We have to be sure we do it the right way. And um, I think it's good. Leo, Pope Leo said just do it at the weekday masses, but I've been tending to encourage it at every mass, at the end, after mass, after go in the peace of Christ, after, before the hymn, at that point. I'll think and pray a bit more about that. And I'm going to think be, I'll be coming up with something encouraging that. Because I have come after 21 years, 21 years, yeah, being a bishop, and many more as a priest, to see that we are up against the world and we are up against the flesh. Look at all the troubles and things we see around us. But some of this stuff is diabolic that we're facing and always has been. So we just need to say to the Lord, help and protect us. Not focusing that alone, but as part of the recognition of reality that we must face. On the journey, as sheep among wolves, as humble servants of the Lord. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But he said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
but it shall be more tolerable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.